Hey, welcome to Coffee House, where we read good books and bad books and talk about big ideas. Last one we read was Discrimination and Disparities by Thomas Sowell. And of course, as I always say, it's always a good day when you get to read Thomas Sowell. We didn't get to read it again. We're just talking about it, but still, it's good. So now we are just going to dive a little deeper. That's what our discussions are for. And what I wanted to talk about was the dichotomy of the divine and the fallen. So what it seems like to me is that there's this secretly religious idea that is the basis for progressive ideology. It's not just in the obvious ways, not just that they are cultish or demand a lot of propositions be accepted on faith or rationalize that science supports their most outlandish propositions. It's in a more specific way. So progressive ideology suggests that humans are divine creatures. What do I mean by that? So Sowell explores this idea of the invincible fallacy, that if nothing else got in the way, like genetics or social factors, humans would be exactly the same and have the same outcomes. Now, Sowell explains this is a ludicrous contention that the factors that contribute to where a person ends up are in the billions and way beyond our control. So people, you would still have disparities no matter what you did or what people were like. But progressive ideology espouses this religious faith that we are identical in a fundamental way. Soul mostly focuses on factors like luck and the complexities of systems that are beyond what we can manage. But my interest is in this odd faith that humans would have the same outcome if not for evil, racist, or patriarchal intervention. We are not divine, specifically according to progressive ideology, uh, which tends to reject religion and even attack it. Because according to progressive ideology, the scientific consensus around evolutionary biology would be the acceptable explanation of diversity on the planet. So, evolutionary biology, of course, pulls no punches on the fact that we are sloppy primates, with a grasping haphazard system that created us. Evolution doesn't care about individuals, it, quote, cares about allele frequencies in populations that work better than others. We as humans are so adaptable because situations can change, so the distribution of characteristics must be in a bell curve, so that we have tails of the bell curve have less frequent characteristics, but they're still there within the population, so in case they become necessary with changing conditions, then they will be represented and then be amplified as allele frequencies in the population. One version of a given characteristic will work the best in the current situation, but the tail of the bell curve may work better in a changing situation. And of course, add to the fact that it's not just one characteristic, it's a combination of potentially thousands of them <laughs> that we're dealing with, so it's a big question. But we're a bunch of tiny experiments pitilessly thrust into the world. We're not individually created divine beings under the progressive ideology with individual divine value. The implications of this are that your personality, your sexual orientation, your emotional well-being are all tools of evolution, not metaphysically important markers of individual value. So all this talk and wrenching of hands about how dare you say anything derisive about my identity necessarily requires this weirdly religious position of metaphysical value that says there's something transcendently important about what a human is, what an individual is, what inclinations or disinclinations that person might have. The fact that some men exhibit effeminate tendencies is exactly what is to be expected by the evolutionary process. You're going to have a spectrum of characteristics that are distributed in different ways and combined in different ways so that you have maximum adaptability as a population to changing conditions. 
and things like being against homosexuality or enforcing gender roles were reproductive strategies that worked for millions of years. So today, of course, we have the luxury of being able to pick and choose which strategies we want to use, but that doesn't make it some grand personal civil rights narrative just because you recognized that we have an unsavory evolutionary history. So I think there's an important distinction here that we have to make and understand is that the progressive ideology specifically must say, it has to say, that there is something divinely important about individuals despite the fact of accepting all of the central ideas of evolutionary biology, that we would end up in this very sloppy, just slap together situation that doesn't have any kind of transcendental or metaphysical importance. So of course this contributes to the understanding that all of this is related to individual emotional validation. It's it's not really about what's true, it's not really about what makes the most sense, or creating some kind of consistent philosophical framework from which we can create a better situation, reality, or civilization in general. It is primarily about just having these incredibly grand, broad, huge ideas that are emotionally validating, and the bigger the better because then you can use means of rationalization about these ideas in a much easier way. You can find anything to support them in any corner of academia. <laughs> Now, of course, there's kind of a broader, bigger arc that we can look at here is that we do have this fight against our nature, which is one of the most artistically interesting things about humanity, is that we do have a built-in nature that has been used for millions of years in a particular way, and we have been fighting certain tendencies that we've had historically as a species and coming to contend with that. So there's certainly some kind of attention to be paid to what kinds of things we're inclined to do and which ones we should be resisting. Like, there are all sorts of characteristics that have kind of broad representation across the population when things like children rebelling against their parents. You know, this could have a very important evolutionary purpose in that it creates, it increases the variety of experience and what people are going to try. Of course, if you are more extreme in your youth rather than in your old age, then that, just as a general concept, makes the most sense because fewer resources have gone into you in your youth if you use a strategy that doesn't work, either reproductively or when it comes to survival, then fewer resources over the population have gone into you at that point. And then once you get older, you've used more resources, so it's more important that you you are uh, making sure that you're surviving. So you could see all sorts of reasons why that evolution would have worked itself out in this way. So the question would be, okay, which ones do we fight against and which ones do we accept? And that's all mixed up in the idea of how our risk-reward system has been set up, you know, over the last millions of years. And something we've, we've already talked about is that, okay, there are a bunch of paths that have already been well-groomed and carved out when it comes to us psychologically that are going to give us pleasure and stave off depression and how much do we want to try to forge new paths to create something else and how many growing pains are we going to suffer as a result of that? It's, uh, you know, mid to late 30s professional women who are unmarried and have no children. They do just fine financially. But that's where the highest increase in levels of depression have been observed. So it's it's a question of, okay, how much how much do we actually fight against that? But of course, that's a monstrous, gigantic question, and you wish all of these questions could be worked out uh, apolitically, and then we could talk about them politically, but that's not, that's not generally how it's been lately. So anyway. 
that's a that's a fine discussion from from the book discrimination and disparities of course Thomas Sowell and one thing I want to encourage I think I will put a link in the video if I remember I'll put a link to this video that came out specifically about CRT and what CRT is and it's from two CRT experts so this is something that they have studied for a long time and so you can get it right from the horse's mouth of what it means and what it's supposed to be about and it's uh, this one guy who's apparently a liberal teacher and he at least somewhat genuinely goes to this group of people and you can see how it works I think I'm going to do a whole episode on this because this is it's absolutely insane uh, seeing this play itself out but I would highly recommend taking a view of this particular video to see what all this talk is about when it comes to whether this should be in our schools or not. And then beyond that, we are going to finish up, finally, we are going to finish up Vanity Fair. We're going to do Vanity Fair, we're going to get that one out, and then we're going to move on from there so we can get through the rest of the 100 greatest works of literature of all time. And then we'll be back into the nonfiction realm and reading all sorts of stuff. So, anyway, I hope you're having a good, what, it, where, what on earth month is this? This is May. Okay, I hope you're having a good May. I hope you're having a good day, and I will see you on the next one. All right, bye.